Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I want to thank everybody for listening and also thank the contributors to my show, who are executive producers Candace Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, and psychic and, psychic and author Ms. Aida, binaural production engineer Damian Keller, author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great. And monthly co-host Jared Murphy, author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us. And monthly co-host Kat Baldwin, author of The Forgiveness Workshop. If you are interested in contributing to this podcast, go to my website, everythingimaginable2020.com, and you'll find everything you need there. And now, without further ado, our guest for today is Eleanor Wagner. Uh, She has written... A few books, Dream a Little Dream, Sussex Sussex County Hauntings, and Other Strange Phenomena. I think there's a part one and part two of those books. And she is also the host of her own podcast. Thank you for coming on, Eleanor. Thank you for having me here today. I was expecting you to have a British accent. Oh, really? I can put one on if you'd like me to. (laughs) (laughs) It's a Sussex County thing. I'm like, Sussex is in England, right? There's a Sussex in England. There's a Sussex County in Delaware, I found out recently. And there's a Sussex County in New Jersey where I live. Wait, (laughs) you're in New Jersey? I'm from New Jersey, originally from New York, but been living in Jersey longer than I did in New York growing up. Hmm. I'm in New Jersey also. Oh, are you? Where in New Jersey? Uh, I am currently living in Waretown. Uh, see, I'm not familiar with that. Is that south, down south by the water? Yeah, you know where Seaside Heights is? Yeah. Yeah, I'm like 10 minutes. Oh, okay. See, I'm up in the mountains. I'm going in the opposite direction up north. Mm-hmm. And I'm by High Point State Mountain. So we live in... With all the uh, wildlife and farmland, where I'm from now. <laughs> uh, beautiful. Pretty cool. I had no idea you were a fellow Jersey person. I am. Pretty cool. Um, so New Jersey, actually, a lot of people might not know it, but it is a freaking awesome place for ghost hunting. It sure is. Um, so, so what are some of your favorite places up there in Sussex to hit? Actually, all of Sussex is haunted. It doesn't matter which town you go to. It just depends on who's going to tell you their story and their account. Mm-hmm. My favorite place in New Jersey is, is Cape May, obviously, because of its ambiance and the hauntings going on down there. So that that's where I took my inspiration from. Every time I visit Cape May, I buy the latest book on the hauntings because you don't have mm-hmm. to live in the place to read the ghost stories. You could just read the ghost stories just because you like ghost stories. So... When I was writing my second paranormal romance, I took a, 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 a diversion and went in the direction of writing um, haunting accounts that I, I've experienced personally. Mm-hmm. And then I reached out to the community to ask if anybody else wanted to share their ghost stories from our town. And that's how the book began. That's how it started. 
Interesting. So, so what are some of the stories? There are good, there are bad. It just depends on the location and the ghost that's in there. Uh, the first book I have the actual story that helped me to found the Lady Ghostbuster group because we were invited to do an investigation in the Sterling Hill Mines. It's a museum now, but at one point it was a functioning mine. And before they started documenting the deaths, there were so many of them, countless. And then when they started documenting them, there were hundreds. And I believe it was in the 80s when the mine stopped functioning as a mine and then became a museum. But you got to believe that all those people dying in there under those conditions, it's going to be haunted to some degree. So when I was talking to the president of the mine at the time, he was giving me accounts of things that have happened in the buildings there because the buildings are really old. They're from the 1800s and they're still standing and they use them for their offices. And uh, he was also telling me that, you know, a lot of the workers come out from the museum saying that they've had encounters in the mines themselves. He said, you know, I'm a scientist. I'm not supposed to believe in this stuff, but I have no explanation for what's been going on over here. If you'd like, you can bring your paranormal team in and you can do an investigation and tell us what you come up with. And of course, I jumped at the chance, but I didn't have Mm -hmm. a paranormal team. (laughs) So (laughs) I was like, okay, well, now I'm going to have to put one together. And so that's how the Lady Ghostbuster team was actually founded. I just pulled a bunch of people together to go on this adventure with me. And it just took off from that point because when the book came out, people read that I had this team and they would say, could you come and tell us what's going on in our building? And some of them would even send me footage from their cameras or photographs that they'd taken or an audio that they caught, you know, just by accident randomly. And um, before I knew it, we were doing investigations on a regular basis. And the good thing about that was because eventually that investigation put into a chapter in one of my books. And if I already had the story, it was just an addition to what, I already had because what I like to do is I like to tell the history of the town where the account takes place because we have all these bunch of little towns. I don't know if it's like that where where you come from in New Jersey, but town opens up into another town, opens up into another town that makes Sussex County. And so if somebody's calling me and saying, hey, I have this story from Wantage that I'd like to share with you, I'm like, great. I want to tell the reader about the history of Wantage. And then if I have History on the background of that particular location, let's just say it's a house in the 1800s. Well, they, there is history on that house. It's been here since the 1800s. So I try and find out what I can about that. And then I share that with the reader. And then I tell them the accounts from the people who shared the story with me. And what I like to try and do is get one or more stories for that chapter. So let's just say I have this Sterling Hill Mine mm-hmm. story. I'll reach out to the public and say, hey, anybody ever work at the mines and have a ghost story that happened to them that they want to share? And so if they reach out to me, that's more stories for me to air to that chapter. And then if my paranormal team gets in, then I can also write about what it is that we've experienced as a team, which makes for a good story, right? Yeah. So how do you reach out to these people? How do you find people in a specific town to come to you and tell you their stories? Social media. Now they have all these little town pages, Sussex County, what's going on, Sussex County, New Jersey events, that sort of thing. And every single town has got some sort of page that's reaching out to the people in that town. So I'll ask to get permission to go onto that page. I'll say, I'm I'm an author. 
I'm writing a book about your town and I'd like to reach out to residents to see if they would like to be a part of the story. And 99% of the time, people are excited about it and will let me get onto the page. And then when I get on the page, I'll explain who I am, what I've already written, what I am going to write, and do you have a story that you want to share? So that's how I get a lot of the stories. And then now people already know me from the, the three haunting books that I've written. Because you did mention Sussex County Hauntings and Other Strange Phenomena, Part 1 and 2. But I also wrote Warren County Hauntings and Other Strange Phenomena, which came out last Halloween. And so because of that following, people have my email or go to my website and they'll reach out to me that way. And what I've done is I've started accumulating folders of different counties. So where I thought I was only going to be writing about Sussex County where I live, I now have folders for five other counties that will eventually be books hmm. in the Hauntings series. That's and good. Sussex County Hauntings, obviously, you saw as part one and two. I'm actually working on part three right now. I think part three will be the final Sussex County Hauntings mm -hmm. because I really do want to start getting into the other counties. But yeah, three <laughs> is in the works right now. And the other strange phenomena categories, there's a story behind that. When I was writing the first book, Sussex County Hauntings was just going to be Sussex County Hauntings. But then I had all these people messaging me about their stories of Bigfoot in High Point State Park. And I'm like, what? Bigfoot? And they were great stories from state troopers, um, rangers in the park, teachers that were there on, on, on camp weekends, you know, people that you, you're not going to really second guess, you know what I mean? And I was like, wow, these are great stories. So thinking, well, how am I going to put them into a hauntings book? And then I started getting all these people reaching out to me with their UFO stories in Sussex County. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, I, I had an experience with one, but wow, I can't believe there are so many. So I'm like, okay. I got to get them in this book somehow. So I added the other strange phenomena category, which worked out great for all the other books. Because when I was writing part two, I used those chapters to write about people's experiences with their loved ones at their time of death. Mm -hmm. And then I used them to write stories about when people get visits from their deceased loved ones, which are really poignant, lovely stories that give people that hope and that faith that there is something on the other side if we want to go there. And then when I was writing Warren County Hauntings and Other Strange Phenomena, I used that, that end of the book chapter to go to near-death experiences, which are really cool to hear about people who passed away for several minutes and come back and what they experienced. Cool stories. Changes people's lives. So that turned out to be very well received. And now in uh, Sussex 3, I'm going to be using that chapter to write about reincarnation stories in children and in adults, which are pretty amazing. So it's opened up a, a doorway to allow me to expand on other things. And then also not to just limit it to people that are in Sussex County, because, you know, when I'm writing about such things, experiences or visits from deceased loved ones and that sort of thing, it can be anyone in the world. And uh, I've opened that up to wants to participate. Interesting. Those are all topics that I've, I've covered, and most of them I've actually experienced also. The near-death experience, the return of loved ones. Um, I've never seen this Bigfoot, but I cover Bigfoot all the time. UFOs. A lot of my guests will say that Bigfoot, UFOs, and paranormal are all connected. 
Um, have, have you had any stories mm-hmm. that, that kind of connect those different type of phenomena? Well, I know that in Sussex County, a lot of people associate Bigfoot with a UFO crash that took place back in, I believe it was the, off the top of my head, I believe it was the late 50s or early 60s in Lake Owasa in Sussex County. There was a UFO that crashed on this, this family's farm and they all saw it. And they reported it, obviously, to the police before you knew it. The military showed up and was hush-hush in the family. And I interviewed a woman whose uncle lived on that farm at the time of the incident. And he was trying to get the story out into the public up until the day he died. And so she ended up writing a story about it to keep his legacy going. And when that incident happened in Sussex County, like, Almost immediately afterwards, people started having sightings of this strange Bigfoot-like creature. Now, I, I don't necessarily know if I believe that that's the case, that they were from that crash, if anything. But a lot of people seem to think so. Because I've interviewed people about Bigfoot, and uh, recently, more recently, Somebody told me about accounts that her great-grandfather saw Bigfoot in the 30s. So that would go be well before that crash on Lake Owasa. But you just asked if I've ever had any people, like a correlation between stories, mm-hmm. and that is one that, that does come up in Sussex County. Interesting. I have one regular guest that comes on quite often, and um, we'll talk about the connection between aliens, Bigfoot, and um Psychic abilities, tel- telepathy. His name is uh, Sunbow True Brother. He's definitely a really good resource. He's also a shaman. I've heard about the telepathic way that Bigfoot is supposed to be able to communicate with people, especially people that are very involved in searching for them, who go on these expeditions. Mm-hmm. I've listened to a couple of podcasts where people have said that they telepathically communicate with this creature absolutely yeah and, you know I, I definitely believe that humans have the ability with telepathy you know when, when it comes to the paranormal do you ascribe to any type of model to explain it like some people will um, explain things in a, through a multi-dimensional type of concept some people will use more of a vibratory concept. Um, do you have any of those that you kind of, you know, use as a reference? I'm not sure I understand. I'm not sure I understand the question. Um, like, like for example, some people like see a ghost in an, or or something that's unexplained, and they'll say, "Oh, maybe it's from another dimension." Um, another person oh, see. might see it and think that they're tuning into a different vibration. I see what you mean. Um, other um, other people might think um, everything is consciousness and are just appearing, at, viewing into a different level of consciousness. I don't think I focus on one particular thing. I know that when we go out on investigations, I think if that spirit or ghost is here, it's here in that home. Although we do experience uh, what I call residual energy which is something of like a replay of something that happened in the house on a regular basis over time. Mm -hmm. So it's 
to better explain myself, here's an example. If somebody keeps on telling me every night at the same time, I hear these footprints, footsteps going up the stairs in my hallway, going down the hallway, opening up the door in the attic and going upstairs. And it happens every single night at the same time. That to me is residual energy. That's something that's just playing over and over and over again because it's something that happened on a regular basis. But if someone's got paranormal activity with a spirit, it's random. It happens any, any time, not any time specific day or night. And they'll see a shadow or something will disappear from their home just to give brief examples or hear a noise or a knock or a door open, that kind of thing. I look at that as it's different from residual energy. Hopefully that answers your question if I if I got it. Sort of. I mean, you know, differentiating between the intelligent haunt versus a residual haunt um, somewhat is part of it. Uh, do you ever think that maybe some paranormal activity isn't actually being created by the spirit, by, but being, that it's being created by the observer of the phenomenon? Not necessarily that they're making it up or hallucinating it, but they're experiencing something, you know, creating it through, through their minds, like using telekinesis or something like that. Sure. I'm sure that their telekinesis is a real thing and people do experience it and, I've never encountered it myself. The only thing I've encountered is um, haunted people. And what a haunted person is, somebody who will come to me and say, yeah, I lived in Georgia in this house and it was haunted. And then that thing followed us when we went to Memphis. And then when we moved from Memphis, we moved into New Jersey in this house and that house was haunted. And it seems like every place they live, uh, house, camper, apartment, whatever it is, is haunted. And then when you go into the place that you're doing the investigation and you actually realize it's the person that's haunted. And that's happened on two or three occasions with us. And what we'll try to explain to that individual is what's going on because they're ultra sensitive. They're able to have these attachments and they don't go away. And hence they're considered haunted. And we explain to them what they need to do to get help to help the situation or alleviate it anyway, or help them to live with it more comfortably. And uh, I've gotten reactions from people that were receptive and said, Oh, great. Thank you so much for your help. I really appreciate it. I could really use it because it's affecting, it does affect your family and the emotions of your family. And it could affect them in a very bad way as well, because everybody receives these things differently. And if somebody's not mentally or emotionally strong enough, it's going to affect them in a negative way. So in circumstances like that, the person really wants to get help to learn how to handle it and is receptive and will take our advice and, and do what it is that we tell them to do. But then we've had people that have said, no, they did, they were in denial and it's the houses that are haunted and not me. So you really can't do anything about that. You can't help somebody if that's the situation and they don't want to accept what you're trying to explain to them. You've done what you can do and you just have to go away and not look back. But it's it's sad when somebody has reached out to you to come in to try and figure something out. And when you're trying to tell them what it is and they don't want to listen, then that's kind of like a, a no-win situation. What kind of advice would you give to a haunted person? 
we tell them that they have to go to somebody who's a, a Reiki healer specifically, um, who can actually help them with their, their, their body and, um, how to be in tune with themselves. Hmm. Um, have you experienced any haunted objects? I haven't. I did a, an investigation in a home where the family thought that a ring that they had, it was a ring from Nazi era, and I believe it belonged to a high-ranking officer. And I'm not even quite sure how they procured the ring, but they felt like it was haunted and shared it with us. And when the mediums touched the rings, they, they felt like there was something to it, but we never really got to investigate it further to find out whether or not that that was the case. I mean, I feel like it's justified if the medium had picked up the ring and did feel something from it that there was something to what they were saying, but unless you've actually had that object with you for a while, I don't think it's fair to assume it's actually a haunted object. Mm -hmm. So when you go on investigations, you use mediums and psychics? I do. Uh, the people that are on the Lady Ghostbuster team are just like you and I, but they're all gifted in some way, shape, or form. Somebody may be psychic medium. Somebody may um, be able to smell. Some may be able to, like, literally connect with spirit and, and talk. Sometimes people get um, almost like a movie screen in front of them where something plays out in their head. So it's not directly speaking to spirit, but the spirit's kind of like giving them their story through, like, a movie sort of like viewing kind of thing for me i get a foofy feeling i call it foofy i can go into a building and i'll feel like if there's a spirit there or not and i'll know if it's good or it's bad that's mm. the extent of what i can do i mean i am empathic i feel emotions but not in relation to being able to hear or speak to a spirit i'll use a pendulum or um, dousing rods to communicate which i find very very helpful they're both used in the same way. A pendulum is a stone on a chain and I'll hang it from a stand and then I'll explain to spirit that if they want to communicate with me, I can ask them a question and they can give me a yes or no answer by using the pendulum and how they would do that is if it goes, if they make the stone move back and forth, that mm -hmm. can be a no, whatever you say to them, no or yes, I'll say let's back and forth is no. And if you make it make a circular motion, I'll use that as a yes, and that's a way that we can communicate if they choose to do so. And then I also give them the option of using dousing rods, which are used in a similar manner. I'll hold the dousing rods. They're very, very sensitive, and they can move them back and forth. So if they cross them over each other, we can use that as a yes answer, and if they open them really wide, we can use that as a no and it's just an easy way to just get yes and no answers from spirit. But I, I love it when the mediums on the team that are available to come who can actually hear the answers in their head and be able to give us a response to questions that we're saying to the spirit that's there with us. We also usually have audio going and we tell them that they can talk into the recorder 
And sometimes we do get responses, whether it's a few words. Once we got a full sentence, which was really cool. Um, the tough thing about that is that you oftentimes will not know about that until you go home and you're sitting and you're listening back to the mm. hours of audio that you got to see if you got anything. But it's still really exciting to hear that when you do. And then the um, another thing that's really great that works is the spirit box. It's uh, one of the members will be holding, wearing a headset on their, their ears and they'll have patch over their eyes. So this way they're only listening to that white noise that's coming through from this spirit box. It's kind of like a kind of noise, right? Yeah, I've seen that on um, Amy Bruni uses that a lot. It's really cool. And not everybody is good with them, and you have to really practice with it to get good at it. But over time, you can really – it can really be a great tool. And so the person who's all covered up and just listening to this white noise – doesn't hear anybody else around them. So just let's say it, I'll be sitting there with another team member and she'll have the headset and the patch on her eyes and she'll just be listening to see if anything comes through that white noise. And she doesn't care what it is, whatever it is, she's going to spit it out. So let's just say, even if it sounds like the silliest thing, she'll, if she hears purple and she'll go purple, she doesn't know why she's saying purple, but she's hearing it in the white noise. And we could have asked the spirit, what's your favorite color? Not that I would ever ask something stupid like that, but I'm just trying to give you an example. Like, let's just say we ask, what's your favorite color? And all of a sudden she says purple. We're going to know on the audio that we've asked the spirit what your favorite color is. And she said purple at precisely the same moment that we asked the question. And so that's how we know we're getting an intelligent communication going on between us and the spirit because she has no idea what we're saying and she's just spitting out words that are coming to her in this white noise. And that's really cool because she doesn't know what's going on, but we're getting all excited on the outside because here we are having this like legitimate conversation with the spirit. You know, we've had them tell us about, you know, how they passed away and who their parents were and who they were looking for. And we got names. And one time we did an investigation in an Elks Lodge and there were Elks members there with us to verify the spirits that were coming through, which made it even cooler. Because, I mean, one of the names of the, was Otto. Like, that's a very unusual name. Mm-hmm. And this guy Otto came through, and he had a personality about him. And he had a very, like, gruff voice from years of smoking. And he had, um, he, he was kind of like, eh, fuck you kind of guy. You know, that's the way he talked. And, he had this attitude about him. And this is what we were pulling through when we were doing the spirit box. And the Elks members were there with their mouths agape because they were like, oh, my God, that really is Otto. <laughs> <laughs> and that's even cool when you get something like that. A lot of the times, too, what I do when we go on an investigation, because I'm the author and I'm the writer, I've already interviewed people from the location. For example, that Elks Club that I was just telling you, I interviewed members who were sharing their stories with me. So I know things before we go in, but I won't tell any of the other members for two reasons. One, they really don't want to know because they want to go in there themselves. And two, I want to be able to collaborate what they've said and compare it to what I I already know. So if they experience something that I can compare to something I already know. It, that just for, for me is 
confirmation. And that makes for a really good investigation, I think, as well. For example, at that Elks Club one, we had um, one of the members' sons tell me a story about what happened to him in the location where it happened and what exactly it was that had happened. And the night of our investigation, we're there. One of my members experiences exactly the same thing in an exactly the same location. So that to me was like, wow. She didn't know that that happened. She didn't know I talked to this kid and the same thing happened to her. And that happened several times that night as well. So that makes for a really good investigation too, because then you're just confirming and, and um, validating what happened to those members and what happened to you when you were there on your investigation. And, um, you know, you're hoping that you're getting some of the answers that they, they want as well while you're doing all of this. Huh. Interesting. Do you guys ever do seances? Not in an investigation investigation that we've just kind of done as a group at somebody's like one of the members apartments. She said there was something going on in her apartment. She thought it was her father come in and she wasn't really sure. So we went there and a whole bunch of us had a seance and we were there for several hours and nothing happened. But no, that's that's the extent of it. That's the only thing we've ever done as far as seance wise. What other pieces of equipment do you use other than the ghost? The thing? other thing. um the two that I didn't mention was um, the obelisk. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Mm -hmm. So that's that's good too because normally it's not going to spit out a lot. A lot, you know, if you're there and it spits out a word, fine. It's very exciting if you're getting a spewing of words during the night because then it's like, wow, that's a lot of words, and then you try and see if it works with whatever it is that you guys are talking about and makes sense with what you were talking about. So that's something else we've used more recently because one of the team members got it and said she wanted to try it out. And the other thing that we, we use quite, quite frequently is the SLS camera um, for your listeners. It's a camera that when you're focusing it on a specific location, if a skeletal-like stick figure shows up on the camera... It could be you walking by, but if nobody's walking by and there's a stick figure there, then you know that that's an energy that's in the room. And what is very exciting when you're using the SLS camera is if you're communicating and you're having a conversation and you're asking them to wave at you and they wave, that's very exciting to see that. But if you use all the things at the same time, like you've got the audio going and I've got the pendulum I'm working on and this energy is in front of the camera, because obviously all you're going to really see is that, that energy and the most you can get them to do is wave to acknowledge that they hear you. Um, another time we had an investigation, this was pretty sad. We were in a location where the spirit had been a prostitute and she had been assaulted and we got her on the SLS camera and she was trying to explain to us what happened to her and the assault. And that was really sad and, and emotional for us to experience that visual and the answering and the yes and no questions and, and putting it all together. That was very sad. So you could use all those things to put the pieces of the puzzle together, but I don't know how well everything would work 
alone and individually, if you get what I'm trying to say. Like if I would have just used the pendulum, it will only take you so far. But if you're using a bunch of different things and all of those energies and everybody's gifts, you're more likely to have a more effective investigation, I feel, because I've seen it happen in, from personal experience. Have you encountered anything demonic? No. No, thankfully. <laughs> no. Mean spirits, yeah. Because what I like to tell everybody is that if a person is a nice person in life, they're a nice person in death. If a person was a mean person in life, they're a mean person in death. If they're grumpy in life, they're going to be grumpy in death, and that's how it is. And we have met spirits that are just grumpy and mean and don't want you there. Right. And so they might get pushy. Um, in one instance, one of the members in, in, in the case where we were at an investigation where uh, two brothers were involved, one was a good brother and one was a bad brother, and the two mediums that were there that night who normally work off of each other very well were clearly against one another that particular night. And we ended up finding out like one was communicating as the good brother and one was communicating as the bad brother. And the bad brother actually hurt, marked, scratched the team member that we had. And that was probably the most, the worst, I think, of anything that we've ever had happen. When... You're investigating, you're, you're, you're coming across spirits and you're talking to them. Do you think that they are stuck here and can't, you know, return to like normal death or reincarnation? Um, that like their souls are stuck? Or do you think that they're able to exist in multiple places at the same time? In my opinion, if somebody wants to get reincarnated, they have to go into the light in order to do so. So a ghost that's here has not gone into the light and so cannot reincarnate until they do. And what we like to do is we like to give the spirit the opportunity to move into the light should they want to do so. Now, when we were in the mines in that investigation that I was explaining to you, we were dealing with so many spirits of dead miners. And we really wanted to help as many of them into the light as we could and we thought we might be able to get them to go, but we had gotten to a point where there was such a brotherhood in that mine that none of them wanted to leave others behind. And even though some of them wanted to go into the light, there were those that did not, and so they all chose to stay behind. So that's that example. We were on another investigation at one point where there was a spirit named Salvatore, and he was a gay Catholic, and he had committed suicide. He was taking care of a young boy ghost from, like, the Victorian era who had suffered from epilepsy in life. So they had something in common with one another because they were ostracized from society, Salvatore, because he was a gay Catholic, and little boy because he had epilepsy. You know, somebody with something like that back in the day was shunned, considered cursed, locked away from society because they suffered from this ailment that was really not very well known or understood. So in death, they found each other. 
And we really worked very hard to explain to them that there is love in the light and there's acceptance in the light and you could go there and you'll be fine. And we had been there for like six hours and really were not sure if we got them to go to the light, but we went back about two weeks later and found that they had. So I was really glad that we were able to move them into the light. So they do have the opportunity to go, but like in Salvatore's place, excuse me, Salvatore's place, they were afraid to because they were afraid of what they, they were going to have to go through on the other side. They thought that they were going to be judged like they were here. Mm-hmm. Then there's the case, like I said, of the minors not wanting to leave the others behind. A lot of the times in children's cases, they don't know that they've passed on. And so they'll be wandering looking for their mother, not even know that you know she's long dead. And so we try and help them too. There are some that just like staying here. And whether it's an attachment or the familiarity or whatever it is, and so they choose to stay behind. Do you think they feel or experience time the same way we do? Like if you're dead and you're just walking around and people are not noticing you for 100 years... I'd be like, I'm giving up on this. <laughs> I, I I think time is very different there. I, I don't know how to explain it, but I think they really don't have a sense of time. I guess you could almost liken it to your dog when you leave the house. They don't really know how long you've been gone. They don't have any perception of that time in between somehow. Um, you know, one of the things I've always wondered too about, about ghosts and spirits being stuck here, I always wonder like, what would happen to them if the earth was like destroyed? Like, would they still, like, you know, say like the earth just like exploded? Then what happens to their souls, do you think? That's a good question. Yeah, I don't know. That is a really good question. Because you have no more place to haunt, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Outer space, I guess. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, because, you know, they could be from a house that was on a property and now the house is gone and a new house is put up and now that new house is their haunt. People get confused by that. How can a new house be haunted? But it can because it's on the property where the house was before. It doesn't necessarily have to be an old house. It could be the property that's haunted. But, yeah, if there was nothing there where would they go i have no idea (laughs) have you done any haunted highway investigations i mean new jersey is sort of famous for those yeah (laughs) it's true we did an investigation of the rockport train wreck in rockport new jersey which i had never even known known had happened a reader had turned me on to and said yeah you should check out rockport and i was like really and then when I started doing some homework on it, I was like, wow, that is crazy. It was the 1920s, and all these German immigrants were taking this train to head back to their country when a huge storm came in and washed out the track, and the train was derailed, and they were literally incinerated. Really sad story. And I said, you know what, I'm going to bring the team to the actual site because I really like to trust my gut when something like that tells me to do something and I just do it. So I brought them there. We actually visited that site three times 
the very first time we were there, we were on the tracks and we had a lot of mediums with us. And all of a sudden the train crossing, you know how it, it, it goes ding, 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 ding. And all the lights go off and that happens. So we're like, Oh shit, get off the tracks. There's a train coming. So we all jump off the tracks to get off to the side, waiting for this train to come through and no train goes through. And we're like, okay, that's peculiar. So then the mediums go into their mode and they're like, is there a spirit here that was trying to get us off the tracks? And that's how they made the connection. There was a spirit there that was trying to get us off the tracks. And as it turned out, he stays there because he wants to make sure that no accidents happened like the one that happened that night. And it's actually not a passenger track anymore. It's a, a train, I guess, just for commercial use mm -hmm. and uh, that sort of thing. But he still guards the the tracks to make sure that nobody can get hurt. But we ended up using those lights for communication. So I'm pretty, if I remember correctly, it was like six or seven times more that night he kept making those lights go off for us. So we knew that he was using the lights to communicate with us in, 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 up until the point when we're leaving when we said thank you so much for sharing your time with us and communicating with us. And when we were saying our goodbyes, he did the ding, ding, ding again. Hmm. <laughs> with the lights and, and you know and i was so pissed because nobody nobody thought to put our cameras on but we did get it on audio which was kind of cool wow. and then another time when we went back there uh mediums saw um men's spirits walking along the tracks uh, four or five men walking down the line and then the other time that we went there one of them got um on audio uh, like a, a steam engine like on on the audio, which obviously is not the train that's there anymore. It's not one of those trains, which was also very cool because that was the train that had the accident. It was the ones that go, that kind of thing. Yeah, so that was kind of cool. Um, but that, that off the top of my head, that's the only one that we went to, actually, that you consider road. I mean, I've written stories about roads. I've written stories about Shades of Death Road. And I'll be writing about Clinton Road when I write that county story, but because there are quite a few yeah, roads that are haunted. Every town has but, one. Yeah, Shades of Death is one that's particular in Warren County, and it connects to Ghost Lake, which is a whole other story. And so that that was that was a great chapter to write in my Warren County books because people just know and are familiar with that particular road and the lake that's attached to it. Hmm. Um, I had a question. I forgot what it was. <laughs> uh, so ha have you hit any of the abandoned jails or psychiatric hospitals? Not with my group. I, I went a couple of years, well, more than a couple of years, to the uh, Philadelphia State Penitentiary. That's that's one that I've been to. When I'm writing the books, a lot of the places are not well known. There are a few that are. Mm -hmm. But what I like to do in the books is write about hauntings that people have never even heard of. Because it's very easy for you to go to like Weird New Jersey or in Google and find stuff on Shades of Death Road, but you're not necessarily going to hear stories about the Ogdensburg Sterling Hill Mines or um, the Sussex, the old Sussex Inn, 
or um, the Daily Bean Coffee Beanery in Vernon. Like those are places that you wouldn't think of, or the old captain's house. They're historical locations, but you're not necessarily going to know that they're haunted yet because they haven't been written about yet. And so those, that's why I kind of like to have a healthy mix in my books of, yeah, some of the familiar stories. For example, in Warren County Hauntings, I write about the ghost of Tilly Smith. She was a young girl in the 1800s who was raped and murdered on the campus of Centenary University in Warren County. And she's well known and she's buried in the cemetery over there. And everybody that lives in the area or goes to that university knows her story but they don't know about the haunting stories. And so that's why I included her story as a chapter in the Warren County book. But like I said, I don't like to make it all about stories that people have already heard. I want them to hear about the stories that just ordinary people experience in their homes. And it's not just the, the knocks on the wall and the footsteps in the hall kind of stories either, because that to me is pretty boring. It's got to be a good story for me to want to write about it in my book. What is it that defines a good story? Oh, when somebody has communication with something or if something comes full circle, um, if they actually get footage. For example, this, this, um, this one story in a house, this, this couple was living there and um, the man's father had given them this old clock and the clock didn't work, but he wanted to keep the clock anyway because his father gave it to him. And they moved into this old Victorian house, beautiful Victorian house, and they restored the whole thing to its natural grandeur. And that's what they wanted to do. And from the moment this couple moved into the, the house, they were experiencing all sorts of things, seeing apparitions, um, things moving, uh, the dogs acting funny, that kind of thing. It was just one thing right after another. And he would experience it. His husband would experience it. That they'd have friends come to the house, and they'd experience it. it. Was like everybody was having an experience with something in their house. And um, before long, they realized every Christmas, and it was only through the, the Christmas holidays, this clock that his father gave him would work. And as soon as Christmas was over, it would stop working. <laughs> Hmm. which was a weird story yeah. and it happened every year up until when they moved out of the house. So that kind of stuff is fun to listen to when it's just one thing right after another and everybody has their little story to tell. Like I was up in the attic and I saw this half person just standing there or I woke up in the middle of the night and there was this apparition at the end of my bed looking at me or, you know, I saw this woman in the mirror. That kind of stuff is all very cool. And if, if there's a whole bunch of this, those stories and I, you know, somebody's, sent me pictures of of orbs that they've gotten interacting with their animals or a video that's even more fun because i'll put what i can picture wise in the books i do put pictures in the books themselves but i also put everything on my website so if somebody wanted to actually see the video that was sent to me or listen to the audio they can go to my website and they'll get to see it there hmm. and listen to it there so at the beginning of the interview, I kind of asked you, like, you know, like what got you, you know, into the down this field. Um, but, you know, me being also a paranormal investigator and into this field, we all have our own origin story, you know, an event or something that happened to us when we were younger that pushed us in this direction. Do you have one? 
do. I, I've always known that I've been sensitive. I lived in a house with a ghost when I was a kid. I did have premonitions as a child. One of them was so traumatic that I actually shut everything down, which I've found out since then does happen to some people. So where I could probably have been a lot more further along utilizing my gifts, I shut it down because of what had traumatically happened in that premonition. So it wasn't until really when I was 30, the day my father died, that I was kind of like reawakened. And it was almost like he did it. My dad did it. He came to me the day that he died and I knew he was dead on my way into the city to try and get there. I knew before I even got there because he told me in like a little vision kind of thing. And from that point on, it was like, oof, it was all of a sudden back. And I was still afraid of it to a certain degree, but I just knew that I, I had something going on. And so he, he's come to me several times since then. But in 2015, when I was publishing that first book, and then when I started doing the haunting series, and I knew I was going to get exposed more to this atmosphere, I knew that it was going to kind of like hone in on whatever it is that I had going on. And I had to learn to not be afraid of it and to just embrace it. And so that's what I've been doing. And I've also found from a lot of people that it does happen sometimes for people later in life. It's when the universe tells you it's going to happen to you. It just happens at the right time. And so even though I was inactive, so to speak, for all those years, I just feel it was not meant to be until when I hit 30 and I started to um, learn more and experience more and educate myself more. And um, I've gotten way better since then, if that makes sense. Hmm. So, yeah. So you've been at this, I guess, now, I guess you started in 2015, so you've been at it for about seven years. How has it changed? Mm -hmm. How has it changed the way you think? Well, I never, I never thought any, anything differently. I mean, I always mm. knew that they existed. I always knew that, that some of them were, be, were left behind. And I, I always knew that our, our deceased loved ones were around us. That, that was something that I always believed. So that part of it, I was never afraid of. It was the, sometimes the afraid of the things that I knew that were going to happen. That, that kind of stuff really scared me. And, um, and then just a, a little fear of the unknown and not, not knowing how to handle it was also frightening for me, which I've overcome a lot of that since. I, I've, I've realized that I'm, I'm empathic, that these emotions that I feel and, and my extreme sensitivity, there's, there's a reason for it, that I shouldn't be afraid of it. And then there's a way to control it. So it's changed me and made me stronger, I guess you could say, because I'm not as afraid as I once was. And um, I'm more in control of it. Um, the emotions can be like really overwhelming at times. And sometimes they can be when they're negative and really depressing and they can drag you down. I've learned how to handle that with each day. And, you know, when I wake up each day, I need to ask for that protective white light 
to surround me and keep any negativity away from me so that it, it doesn't put me in that place where I'm, I'm so to speak off. I, I hate when I'm off. I, I'll know it. I'm, I'm really not myself. I'm really right. off. And it's because it's just accumulating because I feel those emotions so intensely. And, um, so if I've learned anything, it's how to deal with that. So it doesn't get to that extent. Hmm. Um, so one of your other books is like a paranormal romance. Yeah. How does somebody fall in love with a ghost? Oh, no, it's not. It's not a ghost? That's not the paranormal side of things, no. No, <laughs> no, no. no. They, it's it's, tran it's transcendental, paranormal, strange, um, supernatural would probably uh -huh. be a really good way of putting it. Um, I know that there have been writers that have written about people falling in love with ghosts, but that's not what the book is about. <laughs> it's actually far. It's actually far from it. <laughs> I grew up r reading Stephen King, Dean Koontz, John Saul. Those were my inspirations. So, if you could think along the lines of that and put a supernatural, paranormal twist to it, that's what my book is about. It, it's actually it takes place in Sussex County. It's about a woman that gets um, um, abducted from her car when she's at a movie and um, the supernatural paranormal side of things is w what happens to her in getting away. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And I was writing my second um, supernatural romance when I, I had the beginning, middle and end all ready to go and got diverted to the haunting series. And now I just keep on going back to the supernatural romance when I have some time <laughs> to eventually finish that because the haunting series has just been so well received and people are just craving the next book that, you know, I just keep on plugging at it. And then the investigations keep on coming in and that's just another chapter. It's just, I feel like that's where I'm being drawn right now. That's where I'm being pulled as much as I love writing the other stuff. And I also write for children. I have a children's series that's with an illustrator right now, too. That's what I went to school for, to write for children, believe it or not. But although I love writing those things, this is where I, I feel like I'm meant to be right now. I'm meant to focus on this. Hmm. And I, I don't have a problem with it. Anything I can do to write, I love to write. Just period, the end, I love to write. And I love the supernatural. And I love all things ghostly and paranormal and strange and so it's right down my alley, but I feel like I'm where I'm supposed to be, so to speak. Ooh. And what's the podcast called? It's called Eleanor Wagner's Strange and Scary World, and it's out of the Paranormal UK radio network or wherever anyone gets their podcasts. Maybe that's why I thought you were in the UK. So, yeah, well, maybe that's why. That's, that's probably, yeah, that hmm. could be. I was coming up with this idea for a podcast and I was picking people's brains that I know that have already done their own and about equipment and so on and so forth. And when I was talking to um, Mark Johnson, who is the gentleman who got me onto the paranormal UK radio network, I said to him, I said, um, cause he had mentioned, I follow my gut. Remember I was telling you earlier, I just go with my gut. And he had said something along the lines of, yeah, you know, my, um, my station is always looking for new podcasts. And I was like, oh, really? So I said, well, who do I pitch my idea to? And he's like, me. I own half the, the company. 
So I was like, okay. So I put together the whole thing that I wanted to pitch and I threw it at him. And he was like, I like it. Let's go for it. <laughs> and so that's how it started. Of course, I didn't know what I was getting myself into because <laughs> it's a pain in the ass to edit those things. It's like six hours to edit one episode. It's like, woohoo, you know. But it's been a great experience. I love meeting and talking to people. I love hearing new things because the category allows me to be so diverse. Obviously, Strange and Scary covers a lot of different things. And it's been a real ride. I I'm glad I did it, but I didn't know what I was getting, mm-hmm. getting myself into. <laughs> what is the format of it? Um, what do you mean the format? Like, like what, is, it, what? is it just you reading stories? Do you have guests? Do you oh no! Take yeah, phone no, calls. No, I have guests. Uh, I um, it's not live. Mm-hmm. It's pre-recorded, but I do interview people. Um, I start. I have a, a Lady Ghostbuster series that I've been working on, which. I interview a member of my team and you get to know them and learn their background and how they got into the paranormal and what they've experienced, blah, 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 which has been great because I've been working through those a little bit at a time. But I interview people about everything. So I've had people on about Bigfoot, near-death experiences, reincarnation, ghost stories. If I find that the person is interesting and it fits in that category of strange and scary, I invite them to be a guest on my show. Mm. And then sometimes I'll have a co-host with me, somebody who will be there that's part maybe from the team and we'll do like a a three-way interview kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So I I do it bi-weekly and it's fairly new. It's only been on air since this past September. So I, I, it's not like I can say, oh, I have a hundred shows under my belt, but that's the idea. That's the, the format that I, I'm going by. It's pretty much the same as mine. Uh, is that the same as yours? Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. Or so, okay. Except I don't do any editing. No? <laughs> no, I, I can't. I, I do sometimes five or ten episodes in a week, plus I work full-time. So. Oh, okay. So I just... Yeah, I, I do it bi-weekly. I'm a bi-weekly person. I'm, I'm glad that I went bi-weekly and not weekly because I just I, I find it really hard as it is to get everything else done. I mean, I'm a mom and a wife and a kindergarten aide and then just that's regular life, right? And then I've got the writing. I want to still do my writing and I have commitments with that. And everybody wants to have me like come and do a presentation at the school or the college or the library. Or if I'm being on an interview for podcast, all of that takes so much time. Right? So I don't want to overwhelm myself either. I want to make sure I have the time to write. And I also want to have the time to breathe and just kind of like, you know, and not have anything to do, which is really hard as well. So, but I do edit because I, I really hate it when I talk to people because you know, I'm sure you know, you talk to people that are like, um, so like, um, so, um, like, and that drives me nuts. That's like the proofreader editor in me when I'm reading something that somebody's got all these grammar, uh, grammatical errors in it and I'm going through the paperwork trying to fix it and cross it off. <laughs> 
it's no different when I'm listening to a podcast and somebody's on there going like, um, so I was going to go and then like, I'm so all I hear is like, um, so and can't concentrate on what it is (laughs) that they're saying. So I have to edit it or else it'll drive me nuts. (laughs) (laughs) I can't, (laughs) I can't do it. Especially like, like days today, like, like in my third one today. (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh and usually like my, each of my wow. episodes are usually somewhere between an hour and an hour and a half yeah. uh-huh. sometimes up to three hours depending on what's really? happening that, yeah. that must be a really good interesting topic <laughs> it, it, those are usually episodes where we're covering a lot of topics you know because a lot mm. of the stuff is tied together usually like the stuff about ancient civilizations those are the ones oh, that, okay. that, that run really long that and a lot I'll of the bet. UFO stuff will typically go pretty long too, depending on who I have. Oh yeah, 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 hmm. yeah. Interesting. I imagine so. So um, <laughs> you've been doing this since September, so you're pretty new, I guess. See, what month is it now? Yeah, August, I'm a newbie. So. I'm a newbie, and I know everybody says you're gonna you're gonna look back and you're gonna listen to those first episodes and you go, "Oh my God, what was I thinking?" And you're just gonna get better. And I hope that I am because I'm I'm not technologically savvy mm-hmm. at all. In fact, I can't even believe that I was able to get all that equipment and have it set up on my computer. Because I don't know how I did it. I mean, I had a lot of help, but I still don't know how I did it. And if somebody moves something on me, I'll be totally screwed because I'm not technologically savvy. So I'm, I'm hoping that I do improve over time and that I pick up on other things. Everybody says you do, you know. I really didn't know what I was doing until I hit about 100 episodes. Okay. How long have you been doing it now? A year and a half. Okay. But after I hit, after about 100 episodes, then I got it down to a science. Mm-hmm. But my first hundred episodes are terrible. Are they? <laughs> Why but do you say that? Because I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know how to answer, ask questions. I didn't, mm-hmm. you know, I, I was asking probably the same questions that every other podcaster asks, which I've learned not to do, you know, and, and it's hard to be unique. It's hard to think of things from a different way than what normal people would think of. You know, have change, you know, having to flip the perspective in my head all the time around. And plus, I don't do any prep. So, right. you know, I have to I had to figure out how can I interview a person without knowing what the heck they're talking about. Hmm. Well, I can think of it as just another conversation with somebody. You can think of it that way. You know, way, when you're getting but, to know somebody and have a conversation and you're wanting to get to know that person... Right? I yeah. suppose that's a good way to... That, that's part of it. It's definitely part. But it's a little bit more involved for me for some reason. It took me a while, but now I got it down, I think. Good. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I wonder if you've had any of the same guests that I've had. Like, like who is the best guest or, or, or one of your favorite guests that you've had on your podcast? Well, obviously, there's not all that many. And they're just... There is there are some that do stick out. One is Nick Frashy, and he's a gentleman in his eighties who is now living in Florida, but at the, at the time 
At one point in time, he lived in Sussex County, which is kind of coincidental. But I was introduced to him by a gentleman called Nick Stefano, who I'm friends with, who used to be a meteorologist and had his own radio station in Sussex County for many, many years. And when he and I were talking one day, he goes, you know, you should really interview Nick Frashy for your book. And I'm like, why? What, what makes him so special? He said, Nick Frashy was a police officer in the with the Patterson, New Jersey police force back in the 60s when there was a UFO sighting over the Wanakue Dam. And he was actually there at the scene and experienced some shit and had some correspondence with the Professor Heineck guy who was involved with the Project Blue Book and the government. And all these names were popping out of him going, yeah, I think I should interview him. Hmm. And so I did. And it was a great chapter in the book. And then when I was doing the podcast, I said, you know what? A lot of people really like that story. Wouldn't it be great if I got him on the podcast and they could actually hear him tell me about it? So that was one of the shows that I had Nick come on and Nick Stefano at the same time because Nick was the one who introduced me. And it ended up being a great interview. And then I had a woman named Kathy McDaniel on. She wrote a book about her near-death experience. M.K. McDaniel is her writer's name, but her real name is Kathy. And it was so interesting to have her on the show because not only was she telling me about her near-death experience, but her near-death experience was not only about heaven, it was about hell. And apparently with near-death experiencers, that's pretty rare that they come back and they can talk about heaven and having visited hell as well. So she was a really cool interview hmm. to have on the show. Yeah, I love near-death experience ones. I've actually interviewed three people that have been hit by trains. No kidding. Yeah, three people. And that survived. Were hit, yeah, three people have been hit by trains. One guy that froze to death hanging off the side of a mountain. Um. I've done so many. I've, I've interviewed PMH Atwater. She she basically like brought like near death experiences out into the public and got research by universities. The name the name sounds familiar. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I've had my own experience with it. So. Oh, you did have your own near death experience. Yeah, well, it, was, it was during an epileptic seizure that lasted way longer than it should. It was like a half hour. Wow. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> I liked being oh. dead, actually. Well, I guess I'm going to be interviewing you for my podcast. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I do. I do podcast appearances. In fact, cool. Yeah. We'll have to talk after we're done here. Yeah, I also know somebody else that would be very relevant to your podcast too. Great, thank you. Maybe a few people. So it's been a pleasure talking with you today. Um, and you as well. Thank you so much for having and, me. And since we're in New Jersey, you know, if you ever come down to Jersey Shore, feel free to hang out with me or we can go investigate something. Thank you. I'll keep that in mind. Yeah. There used to be a really good uh, mental hospital. in. I grew up in Princeton. And uh -huh. there was a place called Carrier Clinic in Skillman. And it was like a mental hospital, and then it closed, and mm -hmm. it was sat there abandoned for a long time. That used to be a great place to go. 
But I think the and not- you know what? It's probably it's probably extremely active as well because those it was. hospitals it was great. are are known are known for all the shitty things that they did to the patients. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Geraldo Rivera came out with the whole documentary on it many years ago about one specifically in Staten Island. I guess it opened up the window for people to start doing investigations into other ones like I think it was Letchworth, I think is another one off the top of my head that I can think of. But over time and going into their history and finding out what they were doing. And yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm waiting for the day that Trenton Psychiatrics closed down. That would be a great place to go. Mm. I used to live across the street from there. Oh, really? Yeah. Scary place even when there's people in there. Yeah, I'll bet. But what the one in Skillman was cool. With he knocked it down, I think, and he built uh, condos. So. I don't oh, know okay. if I would want to live in those condos. Ooh. I would love to talk <laughs> to people that live in those condos. <laughs> You know, like, have they had anything that they've experienced? I don't know. I haven't. Been you know back what it is. Every everybody has a degree of sensitivity. Okay, so it's all about how how you embrace it and whether you believe it or not. If you if you embrace it and you believe it, then you're going to be able to experience, say, more than anybody who's going to say, "I don't believe it," and I'm in denial, and I don't, you know, I can't do that stuff, or I'm afraid of it. So, when somebody experiences something. You can randomly have an experience because you're sensitive to it. But if you're like ultra sensitive to it, then you you can experience a lot. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You can actually see shit, which is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm sure the children love it. But they really oh, yeah. get to see it. The children and the animals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Children um, are very, very sensitive. And animals, too. I've gotten some cool videos from people with uh, their dogs interacting with the spirit. Very, very cool. One, one which I'm going to talk about eventually in one of the books, this woman's husband passed away, and the cat and him had a bond. Like, the cat was his cat. And when he died, the cat was, was acting strange a lot as if the cat was interacting with a person and there was nobody there. And Mm -hmm. one day she just decided to video it. And you you look at the video and the cat looks like it's like meowing and purring around somebody's leg. Like a cat would when they love you. I mean, I look at the video and there's this, there's nobody there, but this cat, but I'll swear that this cat is interacting with her husband's spirit. Hmm. Oh, absolutely. Just no doubt. Yeah. Um, so before we wrap it up, where's the best place for my listeners to find you, find your books, find your organization, find your podcast? Thank you. Anything can be found at authoreleanorwagner.com. All the links to everything are on my website. Uh, if you want to send me an email because you have a story you'd like to share, you can send it to authoreleanorwagner at gmail.com. You spell my name E-L-E-A-N-O-R. Wagner, W-A-G-N-E-R. And as far as the podcast is concerned, it's Eleanor Wagner's Strange and Scary World out of the Paranormal UK Radio Network or wherever you get your podcasts. Awesome. Well, I'll put a link to your website and notes to this episode so my listeners can find you, buy your books, and share their strange stories with you. I appreciate that. Awesome. Keep them coming. Keep them coming. <laughs> <laughs> All right, awesome. Hang on for one moment, and I'm just going to play the outro.
www.everythingimaginable2020.com.